I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. During the meeting, which lasted over five hours, the public was made aware of a bombshell story broken by the Boston Globe minutes before the meeting that the superintendent of Boston Public Schools was no longer licensed to serve in her role. Alongside the significant news, the school committee followed the meeting's agenda, approving a policy allowing students to complete their degrees, even if they are over age, and renewing their existing memorandum of understanding with Unlocking Potential, an organization that operates two schools in the Boston Public School system. Later in the evening, the superintendent and her team presented on the plan for back to school and gave an update on the BPS wellness policy. These presentations did not seem to respond to the concerns we heard last night in public comment from family and community members. So let's get into it. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I, I, you know, we, we had thought that last night's meeting was going to be a relatively uh, innocuous meeting with a couple of presentations and a couple of votes, but it, it actually turned into quite an eventful evening and, and we have a lot of reflections to share on it. But, but first and foremost, I, I do want to start off by honoring and reflecting on the work of our former superintendent in Boston, Tom Paisant, who recently passed. He led Boston, Jill, for, for about a decade and was able to create really a coherent system where every teacher and school leader and parent knew what and how to work together to create a common goal of all students being successful. And he really allowed for decisions to be made by those at the school level, those who are closest to our students. Mm. Tom was the first superintendent that, that I worked for in Boston, and I and many others will forever benefit from his example of leadership. Jill, also last night, two new school committee members were introduced at this meeting, Ms. Lorena Lapora and Ms. Rafaela Polanco-Garcia. The committee now has a full membership of, of school committee members, so we're back to full, full membership uh, for the first time in a number of months. So let's get into it. The meeting began with the superintendent's report, which was headlined by the news that the superintendent's license expired on June, July 31st. Here's the superintendent on this. I also would like to address um, something in the news today. Um, there is uh, news about my license, and I first uh, would like to apologize to the school committee chair personally and vice chair and members that I allowed my license to expire. There was a misunderstanding between me and my team about the category of a temporary or an emergency license and uh, emergency license that were given during the pandemic. As you know, when I came from Minnesota, I was a fully licensed educator and superintendent. She went on to say that this was only brought to her attention on Monday night. So, Either, Ross, she's been negligent in tracking her licensing requirement, or she was aware of the requirement and the timeline and chose to do nothing about it. As we know, it's likely the latter because the Globe story notes that she's been reminded by state officials twice in the last six months that she needed to take this test. Right, Jill. I mean, if, you're, if you need a professional license to do your job, then it's part of your responsibility to stay up to date with the license. In fact, you know, I, I, over the number of years that I've been a licensed educator, I receive emails from the department notifying me of when my license will expire and when I need to renew my license. Mm -hmm. Instead, the superintendent tried to point her finger first at her team for being confused, then at the pandemic for getting in the way, 
than at the test itself for being too long. In fact, Jill, she, she pointed the finger at everyone and everything but herself. And none of that changes the fact that right now she was doing her job without a required license, mm. something that should never be allowed in any profession. Teachers are licensed, Jill. Uh, bus drivers are licensed. The principals are licensed in our school system. In fact, you know, over the past number of years, hundreds of teachers have been terminated from the school system who don't have their license. But the superintendent seemed to imply that this wasn't her fault, but rather the fault of her team. Yeah, and she wasn't alone in that. There were members of the school committee last night who joined her in pointing the finger at everyone else and letting her and themselves off the hook. Here's what Chairwoman Jerry Robinson had to say. I guess I will comment um, to you about that. The licensure of all staff is the responsibility of the um, Human Resources Department. And so it was our assumption that that was being taken care of by them. They are the ones that would, should have alerted us if there had been an issue. And since there was none, the assumption was that everything was in place as it was. And then Vice Chair O'Neill echoed the sentiment. Appreciate the superintendent um, talking about her licensing issue. It is a... Um, unnecessary distraction, unfortunately. And I'm sorry that uh, there appears to have been miscommunication or um, misinterpretation of the emergency waivers versus the temporary waivers. I'm glad you are correcting this immediately. Um, when we voted in June on your contract, uh, you were in compliance and uh, this just happened as of July 31st, but it's uh, something that could have been corrected ahead of time with proper information. This is a big deal, Jill. This is a big deal. I mean, we can argue all we want around, you know, how much validity is there to licensure by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. That's all well and good, but there is a licensure requirement. Yeah, and as yeah. the head of a school system that represents thousands of educators who must be licensed, we must have a superintendent who's also licensed. Um, a few years ago, there was a headmaster, this is back in 2014, a headmaster of Madison Park High School was operating without a license and she was forced to resign. And that's someone several rungs below the superintendent. Right. And again, as I mentioned, hundreds of teachers have been terminated because of lack of a license uh, after they've had a one year waiver. So if I was the Boston Teachers Union or if I was school leaders and, and I was terminated for a licensure issue, I would be very upset that the superintendent is sort of saying, well, you know, it's no big deal. I'll figure it out. Even after giving two years to obtain her license as a superintendent of the Boston Public Schools. And to see the school committee minimize it and brush it under the rug does a real disservice to every Boston student and staff member, particularly that, you know, again, the 5,000 or so employees who are required to stay up to date on their license if they want to maintain their jobs. Right. But Ross, then school committee member Ernani Diarujo interjected with a very different take on this, much more what you're vocalizing. And he said what I think many of us were thinking as we watched this significant disclosure. Superintendent, uh, to your disclosure around your licensure, um, I, have, I have a few questions. Um, one is, has the state granted you a further grace period to continue to operate as our superintendent uh, while you take the exam? I am in conversation right now, uh, Mr. DeRujo, with the commissioner 
and he's um, looking at that with his lawyers and, and uh, what we are with ours as well. And so um, I will come back to the school committee uh, about that. I will be taking the test within a week. Okay, so, so we may need to be prepared for an interim uh, if that's not successful, potentially. Uh, that, I guess that's more of a comment. Uh, we don't know, um, you know what the result would be. Um, and then this is more a comment you know, I think really a question from my colleagues that, um, uh, you know, this is, I think this is a very significant disclosure. Uh, we, we evaluated the superintendent. Um, and I, just from my, my perspective, I, I presumed that when I read the contract that those requirements were met uh, in terms of licensure. Um, and and that, that clearly wasn't the case. And um, did, you know, at, at what point should we have asked those questions? Should we have done our own diligence as a committee during the evaluation process, um, you know, clearly we didn't do that, and I think that's a, you know, a very key piece of information. Um, I understand the superintendent's, uh, you know, re response to that, but just as a committee, um, I, I think that's pretty pretty fundamental. And I, it looks like we missed that. Uh, we did miss that. Um, so, just a, a comment to my colleagues on that. So, Mr. DeRujo's take is that this is on them. It was a superintendent who didn't keep track of or take her licensure test on time. It was a school committee who is culpable. It is a school committee who approved her contract extension without inquiring if she was even licensed, right? And it is the culpability. I mean, Mr. DeRujo is right. They, they just gave the superintendent a two-year contract extension in June. It is on them. Now, it's interesting because this licensing issue wasn't the only time last night that school committee members minimized what were very important issues. In fact, Hardin Coleman references an allegory, uh, as he's speaking, about filling up a glass with rocks and sand, and that if you fill it up too much with sand, there isn't enough room for the big rocks. The story is about making sure that one focuses on the big stuff first and doesn't get distracted by the small stuff. In Coleman's mind, it seemed that the superintendent's current lack of licensure was a tiny speck of sand. And the head of that board was uh, discussing, uh, having a conversation about rocks and sand in a jar. And if the rocks are important, i.e. reaching closing the achievement gap, uh, having high-performing schools, having high-performing um, professionals at all Dixon, those are the big rocks that we, we, we really wanna be focused on and give energy to and focus on, if we start filling up our jar with sand, for example, this would be my, my response to the issues of your, your certification. We, we did a deep dive evaluation of your performance over the past year, and by and large, founding you performing at an effective level using the data we have at hand on your performance. Those are the rocks. The, your certification, which of course we want done, and of course we're gonna follow through, and of course we wanna comply with state expectations, is in my mind the sand. And I don't want to, I, I encourage us to focus on the big issues that are gonna drive improvement for, for, for kids and you know, be mindful of the sand, that's an important part of our foundation, but not over, over spend too much time on it. It's a great question, Joe. What are the rocks and what is the sand? We should all reflect on that, but the school committee should also reflect on this. What are their rocks? What is their sand? If our superintendent operating without a license is sand, 
what are the rocks? Is the fact that the horse man school doesn't have a place for their kids to be educated? Is that rocks or sand? Is the Edward M. Kennedy School for Health Careers, known as EMK, they don't have adequate space to have a school beginning in a month? Is that sand or is that rocks? In fact, thousands of students missed out on summer learning opportunities that the school district promised they would provide. Is that sand or are those rocks? Is the fact that $400 million in ESSER funds are being spent without any vote or oversight by the school committee, is that just sand or is that rocks? Are the dozens of failing schools as judged by our state assessments, rocks or sand? Is what is talked about during public comment categorized as rocks or sand in the minds of school committee members? Tonight, what was on the minds of the public was not in the school committee agenda. And it seemed that at least some members of the public thought that the superintendent's licensure issue was actually a rock. If a lawyer, doctor, teacher, bus driver lost their license, they would lose their job or ability to work or operate until the situation was rectified, regardless of the years or quality of service. Love you, superintendent, but let's be fair. Moving along in public comment, the issue of a place for the EMK came up again and again. Dozens and dozens of commenters lined up to talk about the district's decision to place the EMK in what they consider to be an insufficient space for the school. This EMK teacher expresses what we heard from many last night about the issues with the decision, and he demands a better solution for the start of school. We could be here all night discussing in detail the list of reasons why the Endicott is not an appropriate fit, but due to time constraints, I will just highlight a few. EMK needs 15 classrooms to properly house its student body. The Endicott has nine. No science lab, no health assistant classroom, no gym, no nurse's office. It's not handicap accessible. The great distance between the two campuses would in reality split the school into two independent schools, destroying any chance of extracurricular activities, including clubs and athletics. Again, I could go on and on, but these are just a few reasons. The bottom line is the EMK students, staff, and community as a whole deserve better. And we are counting on you, the school committee, to listen to us tonight and do the right thing. And this commenter tied both issues together as she also expressed deep concern about the district solution for a building for the EMK, while pointing out the time is of the essence and wanted to know exactly who is going to make this decision if the superintendent is out of commission until she passes the license exam. I really hope this is on the agenda, even if the superintendent doesn't have a license in the next 10 days, who else is in charge if we have to wait 10 days for her to actually do anything? There's 10 days right now where I'm questioning who is gonna be doing something about this. And Jill, this brings us back to Mr. DiRuggio's other comments, which he made after the superintendent's report, where he questions his perception of what is being promised by the superintendent and her team, as well as his fellow members of the school committee. And he's also trying to understand the role of the school committee in representing the community and holding the district operationally accountable. To be frank with folks, I feel like I've 
uh, you know, in a sense, failed uh, as, a, as a school committee member. Um, I, I did read the, uh, the, the journalists who, who wrote the articles, uh, quoted different families about the, the shortcomings. Um, I will say that a number of those shortcomings um, I, I was aware of uh, over the past several months, uh, not, not the specific folks that were quoted, but, um, uh, and I, I thought I asked the right questions. Uh, and maybe, maybe I didn't ask the right questions. Uh, or maybe I didn't understand the responses in the right way. Um, and I, I want to know, um, and kind of just talking out loud here as a school committee member, how do we ensure in our role, given that we're not involved in the operations, we're, you know, we're, we're asking questions where, you know, families, heads of school coming to us, so forth. Um, how do we ensure that we're making the impact? Um, I had an embarrassing moment where, um, this was a month ago, I, I did get to visit some of the programs, some of them are excellent. And, um, and someone complained about transportation. And I said, no, 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 we're, we're providing transportation for every kid. And they're like, no, no, like we're not getting transportation. Uh, and then of course I followed up and you know, there was, there was only transportation for a subset of kids. Um, and I, I don't know if I misheard, if I misunderstood, but my understanding from, from the beginning um, was that transportation would be provided for everyone. And I don't understand why that didn't happen. Um, so, as, as we reflect on not wanting something like this to happen again, where it feels like we just, you know, we, we, we kind of promised the world because we had all these resources um, and what we delivered, even if it was strong for the, for the, the subset of families that were able to access it, um, there's, there's a real disconnect there. Ross, you have to wonder what is facade at these meetings and what is actually real. In actuality, the presentations that we've seen and heard since last June have been more of a wish list than an actual operating plan. And it seems as if the school committee, at least some of its members, may be concerned about the lack of the district's ability to actualize these plans. Right, Jill, this could be seen in the two presentations that were given last night at school committee. You know, both presentations were full of sort of, here's how we're going to solve all these things and make everything fine. So let me just give you a quick highlight of this. The first presentation was on back to school. And we heard about, you know, we heard a promise that everybody was going to get fresh, healthy uh, food prepared on site at every school next year through My Way Cafe. It would be great to, again, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, there should be reports on this at every meeting, right? If in essence, the district is making a promise, the only way they can be held accountable is if they come and report on data at every meeting. There was a report on back to school also on windows and HVAC systems. In fact, we heard that they're cleaning windows and making sure that windows are still working and prepared. We also heard that you know HVAC systems will be all be ready, um, but maybe not until the end of September. Jill, we've been in the pandemic for a year and a half. Hmm. We've been talking about windows and ventilation for a year and a half. Yeah. I can't believe I heard anything that said we'll have that completed by the end of September, after school starts for our kids. That, that is untenable, that's not right, period. Uh, we heard big promises about transportation and athletics, that in fact, all sports will be operating in full effect and transportation will run very well. And they've been working on that clearly. And then we heard about a new focus for academics, that the new focus will be on literacy and, and literacy coherence across, across grades K to 12. So again, you know, we can hear all these things that the schools are safe, everyone's ready to go back, and uh, food is going to be terrific, transportation is going to run awesome, uh, we're going to have a great literacy program across all schools. It'd be really, um, it's imperative here that we have real questions, real data, real answers, because all of these are promises. 
And if we check back a year from now, how many of them will be kept? Right. So then that was followed by a wellness presentation, which was actually a look back using data from two years ago that said that Boston Public School students have deep needs. And Chair Robinson noted that we have failed in meeting these needs. Right. So, so we had the wellness plan, like so many of the other plans we hear in these meetings, had a lot of big picture elements that sounded great. We're going to have access to comprehensive health ed. We're going to have access to physical education. We're going to have access to healthy food. We're going to have access to mental health services. And when you dive into the data, it's not a good story, Joe. Only 14.8% of high school students got the recommended daily physical activity. 35% of our high school students felt persistently sad and hopeless. Fewer than 20% of schools across the district follow the minimum required health education policy. Only 33% of leaders across our school system said their staff received adequate training on BPS's own social emotional learning standards. And just over half of our schools offer programming to address the social emotional needs of their staff. These are real problems, Jill, that need to be addressed that we did not hear solutions for last night. That's right. And, you know, Ross, given the, that the data that they used is from before the pandemic, you have to wonder what the story is now. It's not likely better. And so what is the plan to truly help to provide supports that our students need given the current health crisis and the continuing crisis of a largely failing school district? Right. So Jill, I mean, at the end of both these presentations, members said, these plans sound great, but given that we haven't delivered on plans in the past, how will we know that you'll deliver on this plan? And I, I got a note, Jill, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, we have a build BPS plan. It's a, all, this master facility plan. And yet almost every meeting, we hear of another school in crisis that doesn't have space for their kids in a month. How do we have these grandiose plans? And we heard two more grandiose plans last night. And yet lead to massive implementation problems, operational problems, meeting after meeting. In other words, Jill, how do we know what is real and not just a facade? It's a great question, Ross, but that is what happened last night at school committee. So here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. First and foremost, who is going to carry out the superintendent's duties until she is licensed to do so? And are the facilities for the Edward M. Kennedy School, Horace Mann, and Jackson Mann students sufficient in serving the needs of students while we wait for their new buildings to be built? And Ross, when will we see simulations released to the public on the approved exam school admissions policy, which we noted in our last podcast was different from the final task force recommendation? And of course, Jill, there are always ways to get involved and engaged with the Boston Public Schools. We recommend you advocate to school committee members to increase their accountability of the superintendent and her team. Help them identify the rocks. We will provide their email addresses in the blog. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.